and welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, September 11th, 2022. Today's sermon is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 will be in verses 1 to 10 this morning. As you're turning there, just... Um, thinking, couldn't help but think about what we read in Job um, when, he, when he speaks about this, the, the wicked and the righteous, that God really not being a respecter of persons. And as, as you know, I'm married to an Australian who is part of the Commonwealth, and uh, this week Queen Elizabeth II passed in God's providence, in His sovereignty. We don't know if she was a Christian or not. I, I hope that she was. She was a somewhat a very moral woman, I think, um, but I, I, we're hopeful. Um, but uh, that just goes to show, I mean, she, she reigned for 70 years, uh, and which is amazing. And just reading recently the history of the English-speaking peoples that I read just makes me think about all the kings and queens that came and, and then went. But uh, we... God is no respecter of persons, and death will come to us all. And so we must be cognizant of that always. And we think we're, we're not very close when we're young, but we do not know what tomorrow will bring, or even what this afternoon, or even while we sit here, what will bring. And so we stand before God who is in control of such things. Um, and so I um, just was thinking about that as, as Blaine was reading Job. Um, Today, the sermon title, before I read verses, we're going to be in verses 1 to 10, but the sermon title is The Insufficiency of Old Covenant Sacrifices, which is not new to what we've been talking about in Hebrews, but the insufficiency. So keep that in mind as I read through verses 1 to 10 and then pray and, and we get started. Verse 1 in chapter 10, for since the law has but a shadow, that's a key word for us today, a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And if you go back over and over in Hebrews, he keeps talking about especially the sacrifices and cannot make someone perfect. So they cannot do what is required of a holy God in bringing about the salvation that is needed for sinners. And so he says that often through, as we, if we go back. But verse 2, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. In other words, if they would have been sufficient, then they would, they would not have been offered anymore. It would have been sufficient. And then everyone would have, the worshipers under that system would have been right with God, but, but they weren't. But in these sacrifices, verse 3, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, this is God speaking, God said, going back to Psalm 40, 
sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for, for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. I believe this is the, the voice of the Son in eternity past. But as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again we, we pray. As we gather on this Sunday morning here at the YMCA, Father, we know that, that your people are the church, not a, not a building. So we have come and we gather and we, we're very, very grateful for these words that, that you've presented that come from Hebrews 10. I pray today that truth would be preached and taught and understood. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. I pray that Christians would be encouraged, convicted. Father, and we would grow in Christ. I pray that non-Christians today would hear and obey the gospel and turn unto Christ and be saved. I pray that Christ would increase. Please, we pray that we would decrease. Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work greatly. Father, in these words that we're going to talk about this morning. Father, we trust your word. Give us ears to hear and then great hearts to obey these words. Father, we give you this time. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So the insufficiency of the old covenant sacrifices. Now this passage here, chapter 10 particularly, going through verse 18, concludes what began way back in chapter 5 as the author starts to show the superiority of Jesus' priesthood. Particularly the priesthood of a different order, Melchizedek. And Jesus did not merely bring the blood of bulls and goats. Instead, who did he bring? He brought himself. And this offering, the, the offering of our Lord Jesus, to which all of those offerings under the old covenant pictured, was their perfect fulfillment. And in this one time offering, which he says over and over in, in Hebrews, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. He says that as well, numerous times. In the new covenant, the sacrifice on the cross of our Lord accomplished what the old system, the old Levitical priesthood, could not, nor could they ever do. So today, if you are a Christian and you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are taken away, and that is good news. Your guilty conscience is cleansed. I point at my head, but conscience is a mystical thing there, but your conscience is cleansed. It's no, cleansed. It's no longer guilty. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, you are pure, you are sanctified, you are righteous in God's sight. Instead of fear and trembling at the base of Mount Sinai, as Moses, if you go back and think, Moses ascended alone and he spoke with God and there was thunder and lightning and and, and smoke, things that we just picture that were happening there, the Bible speaks about. Instead of fear, verse, chapter 10, verse 22 says that we draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts speak, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And all of this is because of the most glorious sacrifice of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are Christians today. And so this is a Christian sermon. So with that in mind, this morning I have just three truths from this text, verses 1 to 10, about the insufficiency, okay? So that's the overall umbrella. Insufficiency of those old covenant sacrifices. And here they are, and we'll go ahead and give them to you. Number one, those sacrifices remind us of sin. So that's all they do is they remind us of sin. Um, number two, they are merely shadows of that which is to come. So that's number two. Number three, those sacrifices and that system could never accomplish the will of God. So let's begin. Number one, the sacrifices under the old covenant are insufficient as they only remind the worshiper of his sin or her sin. They never perfect. They can only remind. This means that as long as those sacrifices are in place, they are insufficient. So look at verses 1 to 4. Let me read those again. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. We, those who worship. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, or these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now really, this is one of the author's main points in the book, as he spoke to those Hebrew Christians particularly who were considering going back to the old covenant with its sacrifices. And we've talked at length about that. He was saying, I think, don't do it. Don't go back. It is, those things are insufficient to save you. Those sacrifices cannot perfect you. In fact, if they were sufficient to make you perfect, to save you, then they would have ceased. If they truly cleansed you from your sins, they would have served their purpose. So don't go back. And look at verse 3. Instead of cleansing the worshiper, they only remind the worshiper of his or her sin year after year after year. Reminder. So when you think about getting reminded of something, what do you think about? The older I get, the more I need to be reminded of some things. I, I, this is why, you know what, 
I didn't ask Kristen if I could do this morning. You know, this this morning. You know what? She's not here, so don't tell her I'm bringing her up in a in a story this morning. But Kristen reminds me often of the things that I forget. And husbands, you probably know what I am talking about. Just recently, I came back from the grocery store at Food Line, which is where I always go down in Kannapolis, and I came back with a few bags of groceries. I was happy. I was satisfied. Honey, I got everything on the list. And then, after going through the groceries, I'm over in the living room for a few minutes after, and I hear the words, John, you forgot the avocados. And then I go, oh, yeah. I didn't either look very well, or yeah, they were on there, and I just forgot them. But she reminded me, yeah, I forget them. And so then what do you think I do? Husbands, what do you do? You go back out the door, you get in your car, and you go back, and you get the avocados, and you still got that displeasure you know that you forgot. And you... Anyway, that's another, another thing you talk about another time. I do it often. And so I think that when we think about being reminded over and over again, this is in, in the same kind of way, of way the author is saying about the old covenant and its sacrifices, but it's a whole lot more serious than forgetting avocados. He's saying as long as they're offered, those sacrifices, those animals there with the priesthood, there is a reminder of sins year after year. Why? Verse 4, because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So if, the, if those sacrifices can't take away your sins, then what do they do? They just remind you year after year. Can you imagine that? For years. Years and years and years having a reminder of sin. And so, as we've seen in the last couple sermons, those sacrifices could not purify the, the conscience, that guilty conscience that we have because of sin. Those sacrifices could not make us clean. Those sacrifices could not sanctify us or set us apart as holy and acceptable to God. Those sacrifices could not secure an eternal redemption. All they do is remind us of sin, as we talked about before. It's like taking a, uh, you know, a bath once a year, but you never get that real bath where you really cleanse from the inside out. It's like talking to the, Jesus talks to the Pharisees. Your outside of the cup looks really good. But what about the inside? Or him talking with Nicodemus, you know, don't you know what the Old Testament says? You must be cleansed, you must be purified. Well, in Christ today, if you're a Christian, there is no reminder of sins. All of them are laid upon Christ in his sacrifice on the cross. All of them. If you are a Christian God does not look down upon you and say, I saw that sin. Though he sees all. But he doesn't look down in a condemning way if you are a Christian and say, you're guilty. I will judge you for that sin. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, God does not remind you over and over again what you need, that you need another sacrifice. There's no longer fear and trembling as in the old covenant, when the people waited for the high priest to, to come out, when they were waiting for him, there was fear and trembling. They're wondering, is this man going to come out? 
alive, knowing who God is and what happened with Moses on the mountain, is he, is he going to come out alive? They were wondering this. So as Christians, we look back to that one-time sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. So if you are a Christian, your sins are taken away. They are, as I say almost every week these days, they are, they are thrown as far as the east is from the west. You are clean today. God does not accept you and your sin. Instead, He accepts the eternal sacrifice of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul can say to us, to the Corinthians first, but to us, if any man, a woman, or child is in Christ, he or she is what? A new, new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, or Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The old is passed away, the new has come. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh cannot do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So just a couple applications here before I move on to the second truth. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, please remember today that God is not your accuser to remind you of sins. Now, there are great consequences of our sins now as Christians. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking at a, in, from the standing of a judge, justice. The judgment that we deserved fell upon Christ in our place. And so you're not condemned today. So he does not accuse you. But who does accuse you? Who does accuse us? Satan is our accuser. He comes and he says, look at what you did. Can't believe you lost it again in the way you did. I can't believe what you did the other night, and what you looked at, or what you, what, <clears throat> how you treated that person. How can you say that you are a Christian? Well, I am reminded of some words that we sing often. Do you know the words from before the throne of God above this this song that we sing, here's one of, the, one of the parts of it. When Satan tempts me to despair, maybe Satan has tempted you to despair even this morning or this week. I can attest that I believe certainly he has even in my life, in recent days particularly. But when Satan tempts me to despair, tells me of the guilt within, upward I look, and I see him there, and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Where does the end come? comes in that one time sacrifice. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is the prayer and the thought and the excitement and the love of the Christian that we find in the gospel that gets to our hearts. But if you today are not a Christian, 
And these words just do not resound with you, but here for the first time, maybe you say, that's not me, John, but I believe that, and I believe that is true. I would say to you, look unto Christ, turn to Him, repent of your sins, and say, yes, God, I believe what Pastor John is preaching and what your word teaches, that Jesus died for my sins, and look unto Him and be saved. That's Truth number one, those old sacrifices could only remind. Second truth this morning, those sacrifices, the sacrifices under the old covenant, are insufficient as they are but shadows that direct attention to the one true sacrifice. Look at verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities... It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. So here the author is using the concept of shadow and reality to describe the difference between the old covenant and the new, particularly the deficiency of those sacrifices under the law of Moses. We've already spoken of its insufficiency in that those sacrifices cannot perfect the worshiper but instead only remind us of our sins. But here, the emphasis is on their function to picture. So look, think of all the Old Testament, Mosaic Law particularly, and the sacrifices there. They're pictures. They are shadows of something else. I've used this in my sermons before, and I like the illustration. I think you can get it. I think of the the philosopher Plato. He tells the story of a cave. Anybody ever heard of the Plato's Cave? Anybody like had to read that through high school or something or college? I'm just curious. We got one person that knows one thing. Ever heard anything about Plato? Three or four people. Well, if, if you haven't heard of it, I'm going to explain it to you just for a second. He tells the story of a man who is bound. I picture just a man sitting in a chair, arms bound, completely wrapped with ropes, in a cave, The cave back is there, and so the person is sitting and looking at the back of the cave. And then, as this man, or whoever's there, sits there and looking at the back of this cave, there's an opening on the the front side where light is coming through the cave. So all this person can see are the shadows that the light makes that comes into the cave. And you can see the backs, so as a person walks by, well, I don't know if he's ever... I don't remember my Play-Doh good enough to know if the person was ever out or not. I don't know if he ever was. But there's a person walks by, so the shadow gets cast, the person. Or there's a tree, and there's a shadow cast. Or, or a bird, because there's a shadow cast there on the back of the wall. And so what is interesting, though, is when you think about that man sitting in that cave, those shadows are just shadows. They are not the substance. They're not the tree. They're not the person. They're not the bird. I I mean, think about a tree. I think when I see the shadow of a tree, when I go running in the morning uh, occasionally, and I see the the sun coming up, and I see the shadow of of a tree, I think, hmm, that's a tree, without even seeing the tree there. Or you've ever seen the, the, the clouds when the, 
when the uh, airplane comes and all of a sudden you see the airplane going across the ground. You're like, oh, that's pretty cool. It's a shadow, but you go, oh, that's an air it's an airplane's up there. There's the substance. The shadow is just the shadow. And so when you think about shadows, there is no substance. There's only a shadow that makes me think about something else. Well, in the same kind of way, the entire Mosaic law under the old covenant with all of its ordinances, all of its institutions of worship, they are but a shadow. They are not the substance, particularly in this context, those sacrifices. And shadows only reveal what is behind them. So in and of themselves, the shadows fall way short because they're not the substance. And as regards salvation and the perfecting of the worshiper, they fall short. So let me ask, what is the substance to which those particular sacrifices point? What is the substance? We know the answer. We've been going through Hebrews for over a year now. The substance is Christ. Look back at verse 1. The law is but a shadow. Shadow of what? Good things to come. And what are the things to come? The things that, that are to come are Christ. His coming and everything that He accomplishes in the new covenant for the believer Starting from his birth, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection, to his ascension. All of those things and all of what, who he is and what he has done accomplishes for us. Those are the good things to come. Look at chapter 9. Turn back a page with me there. Verses 23 and 24. Thus it was necessary for the copies... Of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. I think of Colossians 2, as Paul warns those who are holding on to certain things from Mosaic Law and the things of this world, as if those things could save them. He says, therefore, let no one pass judgment. Let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink, or with regard to festivals or new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he's saying all of these things also are shadows pointing to Christ. So as we consider Christ as the substance of the old covenant sacrifices, I think of a much more fundamental truth. Let me ask you this. Since God is spirit, what, <clears throat> we, we, we learned that in our catechism, how do we know Him? How can anyone know we're... Him, since He is Spirit. Well, do you remember the words of Jesus? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14, 9. Today, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
And Colossians 1, excuse me, 1 and 2, but 2 verse 9 says, In Him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. What beautiful truths we have. And I know this is just a little reminder. We've talked about this in other sermons coming up to this. But all of those things, particular sacrifices, were just shadows and copies and, and, and types pointing us to Christ. So, when you read the Old Testament... We should find Christ just about on every page. I, I wonder on the road to Emmaus, exactly, again, would, would love to have been there and what Jesus would have said to those two men. Just going through for hours all the scriptures leading up to him, saying, do you see the picture? Do you see the, do you see the shadow? Here I am. I wonder about that. Finally this morning, third truth from this text. The sacrifices under the Old Covenant are insufficient as they cannot accomplish the will of God. This is very important for us. Look at verses 5 to 10. And notice he uses the word will of God a couple times here. He says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, so here he's going back to the Old Testament and showing how the Old Testament taught what the author of Hebrews was saying. So he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. So there's where I get this point, this truth. Because those sacrifices could not ultimately do the will of God in the sense that we are talking. And so, then I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, again, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first, in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So the important phrase for us now as we think about this truth for the next few minutes is the will of God. The old sacrifices could never accomplish the will of God. Now, we're not going to get into God's decorative will thing things that before and God's will of command, you know, it's not his will ever that we sin. But this is primarily talking about way before the foundations of the world and this plan, this desire of God that we find today in the gospel. But the Old Testament sacrifices could not accomplish the will of God. Those sacrifices, think about it, they were animals. They could never actively obey the will of God in their actions, nor in their, in their, I imagine probably they did it in their hearts better than they did it in their actions. But their animals are not created in the image of God. They couldn't do it. They just did what was natural to them. Yes, their death was required for that time under that system, but only as shadows and pictures of the fulfillment the real death of the Son of God. So when you think about those, those old 
sacrifices, they are the, they're the shadows on the wall of the cave. And as we've seen, as mere creatures of this earth, they could never achieve eternal salvation. They could never accomplish the will of God. Brothers and sisters, I love these verses because here we see the mysterious plan of God from before the foundations of the world carried out perfectly by the Son in time in His humiliation to accomplish what the law of Moses and its sacrifices could never do, to accomplish what only Christ could do, which is to secure an eternal redemption, eternal salvation, to perfect the worshiper. So here the author is comparing the, <clears throat> the person of Christ and His sacrifice with the sacrifices of Christ and the sacrifices of bulls and goats. And really, we couldn't put them, if we were to put Christ's sacrifice into a, on a scale and over here put the sacrifices of bulls and goats on a scale and try to weigh them, we, we couldn't compare them because we're looking at something that is earthly versus, versus something that is infinitely eternal in order to accomplish the will of God. Now, our author is quoting from Psalm 40. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 40. Open up the middle of your Bible and you'll be right there about the Psalms. Particularly verses 6 to 8. And so, if we're going to understand this passage, we've got to go back to the Old Testament and understand why would the author quote that Psalm? And so that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. So if we read this psalm, I'm not going to read it, but I'll just tell you, the whole psalm is really about obedience. Really the obedience of David, King David. It is one of his psalms. Verse 4, he is saying, hey, I do not hold back. I'm being obedient to you, God. I don't hold back, and I haven't held back from telling the people about your great deliverance and your works. And, he, and we can read, you know, verses 9 and 10 as well. But the whole psalm is about obedience. And you know what? David isn't just speaking of outward obedience. He's speaking of an obedience that comes from where? The heart, which is what we're after. We, by the way, I'm after that in my preaching. As parents, we are after that with our kids. We're after the heart. So, that, so David's saying, God, I haven't just, I haven't just gone to church and walked down the aisle and gone into the temple and given my alms just because you tell me to. I do it because I delight to do it. That's what I want to do. And so that's the context of this psalm. And so right in the middle of it, we find the most beautiful words about sacrifice and obedience. Look at verses 6 to 8. Here's what the author in Hebrews is quoting. He says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Literally in the Hebrew it means to dig an ear. You've given me an ear. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, 
I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. Oh, I just, I just, when I read verses like this and just think about the context of David, boy, it fits perfectly with David. Even though he was a sinner, but it was there. And then I think, wow, what, how mysterious and how great are the ways of God now once we've got the substance to then go back and interpret the Old Testament. Because, brothers and sisters, the New Testament interprets the Old because we find the fulfillment in the New Covenant. To me, this is exciting. This should make you excited when you go back at home tonight and this week to read the Old Testament. And then to see, now that we've got the substance and no longer just the shadow, this, this is for us. And this is what we see. And so, here we, here's, here's the real meaning to which this points, which, by the way, Melchizedek, why was he given? He was given because he points to Christ. The only reason, that's the only reason we have him there. And so we could say the same things about all of these, but it, yes, it applied to David. It applied to those men and women then. But now we see the true meaning. And so the author says, here it is, guys. This is how we understand Psalm 40. And so when we think about this, I think the picture here with the ear is that with the ear, we hear the will of God. So today, you're sitting here, you're hearing, you're under, and then hopefully you're, you're understanding, but you have an ear. And then when you hear it, and I say, trust Christ, or I say, be kind to your neighbor, or I say, don't get angry with your spouse in a sinful way, or whatever, then what am I expecting of myself and of you? Obedience. When we go out of this place, to do it. And so that's why I think he's talking about an ear. When you think as parents, how many times do you say to your kids, listen? We use language, but what are we really referring to? Their ears, okay? Listen to me with your ears so that you go and you be obedient to my commands. And then you tell your kids what you expect. Give me your ear. Listen to me. And though, as we think back to this psalm, the, the, the initial context was David and his obedience, the author of Hebrews now shows how the obedience of David merely pictures the obedience of another king, of another priest, of the one that we worship today who would come and obey the will of God perfectly because David did not obey the will of God perfectly in his heart or in his actions nor did any man came from the from the loins of Adam such as all of us but instead of an ear the author of Hebrews says that it won't merely be an ear in fact it will be a body a person who will come and be obedient to the will of God. And that person will accomplish the will of God. In fact, this person won't just obey, he will delight to do the will of God from all of his heart. This is none other than the eternal covenant, I believe, from before the foundations of the world. If you could think back between the Father and the Son particularly, and of course the Holy Spirit, and it was fulfilled in the humiliation of the Son, the incarnation. 
beginning with his virgin birth as he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then from the moment of conception, we see this promise begin to be accomplished. Do you remember the first recorded words of Jesus? If you were somebody, I hadn't thought about this before. What are the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospels? Well, we find them in the book of Luke. Jesus was 12 years old. His family had gone down to Jerusalem for the Passover. And after it was over, they left with a group that were traveling down. You know, they, they, they went like that. There was safe, safety in numbers. They traveled together down to Nazareth, from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. And then so they, they turn around in the group, big group, and they go back. Well, if you, Mary and Joseph lost their son, okay? He's nowhere to be found after they've been traveling for some time. In fact, <laughs> I don't know if we're told exactly how long, but they, they turn around and they go back to Jerusalem because they say, we've lost him. Our 12-year-old son, Jesus, he's gone. And it says they looked for him for three days. Can you imagine? We don't even think about these parents. They're like, we've lost our son. And then three days go by. Three days looking for your son. Where do you think they found him? You know the story. They found him in the temple. And there he is. Luke tells us that he's sitting among the teachers. He's listening to them. And he's asking questions. Boy, I would love to know Jesus' questions when he was 12 years old. Sitting with those scribes and Pharisees and those teachers of the law. I would love to know what them. One day we will ask. Or if I even care about that. But that, that excites me. We don't know what he said. We don't know what his questions were. But they found him. And then they ask him in a rebuking way, Son, why didn't you come back with us? And then he said, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And that's interesting because cognitively, here we see this man, 100% God, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, now young 12-year-old boy, cognitively, cognitively, thinking and saying, I'm here to do my Father's will. In other words, Jesus was saying, I, I've come to do what and delight in what I've come here to do from before the foundations of the world. As the Son of God, Jesus knew why exactly He had come. It was to do the will of the Father very clearly. This is why He came. Look back at verse 5. I love it. Verse 5, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body I have prepared for you. Do you see that? This is the humiliation, the incarnation. This is the person, the body, the Lord Jesus Christ. Once, when Jesus' disciples were asking Him about food, they were hungry, Jesus, what does he tell them about food? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you see that from Psalm 40? I, will, I prepared for him a body. He will delight in me. He will do my will. <laughs> do you remember one time also when Jesus told his disciples, one of the few times he told them, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. Sorry. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And so he tells his disciples this. What did Peter say to him? He said, 
No way, Lord. That will never happen to you. <clears throat> Far be it, Matthew 16 tells us. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never, ever happen to you. And here we probably have the hardest rebuke from Jesus to his disciples ever, ever written. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, Peter thought there was this kingdom coming right there with Jesus, with swords and spears and all of this. But Jesus was thinking of the eternal agreement, a body I prepare, prepared to you, for you. Jesus came to delight and to do the will of God. Brothers and sisters, if you say, what is Christianity? Why did Jesus come? If your neighbors want to know, you can tell them very clearly, Jesus came to die. That's what he came to do. And so with this in mind this morning, as I try to close up this sermon, only the obedience of the Son of God, and not just a man. That's why I have so much to say with our friends and neighbors who are Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, because they do believe he was sinless, they do believe he was a created being and he was a perfect man. But if there is no, not in essence, also God, there is no eternal sacrifice. So only the obedience of the Son of God, not just a man, but in essence, God, could accomplish such, such a plan. And I think this is the point of the entire book of Hebrews particularly this passage. God does not ultimately delight in the sacrifices of man. He delights in the sacrifice of His Son at the end of the day. Why? Because in that sacrifice, we have a perfect, eternal, loving obedience. And so the obedience of Christ is the key to His sacrifice. Even as Hebrews is pointing out, he was sinless. The perfect obedience of the one, the Lord Jesus Christ, transferred to the disobedience of the many. If you are a Christian today, it's because of this, the great exchange, the great transfer. God has taken your sins and laid them upon this one-time, sufficient, eternal sacrifice. And he has taken his righteousness... And given it to you. This is, why, this is what brings us peace in this life. This is what brings us reconciliation with God. This, and, I, and I preach it hopefully every single week. And we're just getting it from a different angle. But the obedience of Christ, perfect obedience of the one transferred to the many. Look at verse 14 real quickly. Because we won't spend as much time in 11 through 18, but we will. But look at verse 14. For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Here we find the heart of the gospel. So today, as we think about these truths, as Christians, we are here because the blood of Christ is and was sufficient to save us. The law and all of its sacrifices under the old covenant are not sufficient they can only just remind us of our sin, 
for a holy God. They are merely shadows. They are not the substance. They cannot accomplish the will of God in any way. And so we look today as Christians to the one-time sacrifice of Christ. So what beautiful truths that will help us this week as we think about our own sin, as we know that God is not accusing us in this way, and to consider the great plan of God in sending the Son into this world. I hope that we can do that a little bit today as we just leave this place and think about, I I ask you and I plead with you to dwell upon these things even as you leave today. Go back and read Hebrews again and just ask God, God, help me to understand. And then not just understand, but to do. And we're getting ready to move into practical applications. The whole last part of the book is all pretty much about faith and living out your faith and practical things. We, I know this is very doctrinal sermon today, but so has Hebrews, the book, been. And such is the way I'm preaching it. But these truths also help us to do our best as we hang out with others and work with others and talk with others that we might understand the gospel of Christ and might be able to present this great sacrifice. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, again, at the end of this time, of this Sunday morning that you've given us, we are very grateful for the one-time sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not reminded of our sins in a way that we think, oh, I'm not right before God. Father, we have an advocate. And if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, today as Christians, we look unto Christ. Father, for non-Christians that are sitting here today, I pray that you would penetrate the heart, open the heart by your Spirit, give great grace that they may turn to Christ and be saved. Help us as we go out into the world this week to, to live in our homes, to be godly, Father, to, and then as we engage the world that we might point folks to Christ with our words and our actions. So, Father, we just bring this time this morning to a close, and we give thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row Inn YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.